I met March for the first time digitally and it was an amazing surprise when I started um, meeting him in real life. We've been working together with the school and uh, Microsoft on a student project and it was impressive how tall was March. His tall, <laughs> thin, reddish, <laughs> reddish hair, blue eyes, beautiful smile, and just the kind of person that puts in a good mood. His personality is warm. And one of the most impressive things about March is his posture. I love his posture. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Gianluca Cinque Palmi, you're listening to GLC Live. I'm an educator, design entrepreneur, and best-selling author. In this show, I challenge designers, creatives, and entrepreneurs to unravel the complexities between business and design. In this episode, empathy, and the controversial relationship between business and design. Ciao, Marge. Welcome. Ciao, Gianluca. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So happy to have you. This was an, an amazing gift. So, March, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. And uh, sure. because the theme is empathy, how does empathy impact your world? Mm. So, uh, I'm March Rogers. I am an Irishman. I live in Ireland with my family. Uh, I have my day job is that I'm a, a software designer at Microsoft. And I have two side projects that I put love and time into. The first is a uh, communications app for children with autism. My daughter has autism, so it's a very personal project for me. And then the second one is I have a podcast that's all about trying to get better, better at every aspect of life. That's so, amazing. yeah, so I'm, I'm primarily a designer. That's my, my profession. Um, I've worked at Microsoft as a designer for almost 15 years, um, and uh, I have worked on a wide variety of projects, both um, software and hardware and services design. And my um, degree is in visual communications and media production, and so that's where I started. So even though now I primarily work on inventing new products, uh, interaction design, and UX architecture, um, that was all things that I sort of developed the skills for and the experience for along the way, having started in uh, visual communications. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, it, thank you. Uh, in terms of empathy, um, empathy is at the core of my work. Um, it took me a little while to learn how to leverage empathy as a tool for design and for product creation. Um, where it came from, for me, was curiosity. And curiosity has always been the engine of my empathy, wanting to learn about the world and learn about people. Part of that is that you learn about the challenges that they face. And if you have enough curiosity, that, that will eventually turn into, in my case, into empathy, where I had a strong desire to help them with those challenges. Um, and some of those challenges are easier to discovered than others. Uh, some of the simplest I've worked in the last few years um, in the education space, providing tools um, and software for teachers and students. And it's very easy. It's a good place to practice 
uh, empathy skills because it's a very easy place to have empathy. Um, and what you discover is, and what has been very powerful for me about empathy and design is you go from having maybe a little bit more sort of you have grandiose ambitions for what you want to do with design in the world. And uh, those ambitions can be good, but they can also be very sort of self-involved and self-serving. You know, you want to make this big impact, this big splash, because it's good for your ego and kind of, you know, you want lots of people to know about your impact in design. But if you spend time with people who you're trying to serve, uh, in the case of, say, teachers, what you realize is a teacher's day is incredibly full. It's jam-packed. They oftentimes, you know, secondary school or, or primary school teachers, they'll get up in the morning, they'll start school very early, maybe 7.30, They're right into class. They're teaching children and doing their best in their, their form of service for, you know, most of the day. And then around three or four o'clock, they stop and then they either have professional meetings or they have meetings with parents. They'll eventually go home. They'll take care of their own kids. They'll cook them dinner. They'll put them to bed. And then eight o'clock at night, they start grading papers or preparing for the next day. And so they have these incredibly long, dense days. They're doing a really important job. And so you realize that rather than having some grandiose sort of like, I want to change the world with design, I want to save that person 30 minutes. You know, I want to make Thank it you. so that they can spend 30 minutes at the end of the day reading to their kids or having a glass of wine or just something. If I can make a product that's a little bit more efficient, that's a little faster, that saves them a little time, that's a, that's a, a job well done in my mind. And as, so that empathy piece for me has helped ground my ambitions for design into the real needs of real people. That's amazing. Thank you, first of all, for the teaching, unveiling oh, that, sure, yeah. that the teaching part is, um, you know, my my closest friends sometimes uh, we have mm -hmm. this conversation and they go, oh, you know, you s stay there, you, you BS for two and a half hours and then you go home. And I'm like, eh, mm -hmm. no, <laughs> that's, not, that's not how it is. That's not how it is. Especially sometimes uh, a lot of people don't see the preparation that goes in, in preparing a lecture. First of all, right. talking, right. uh, it, talking and engaging 15 20 25 you know young minds whatever the age is is not easy because mm -hmm. uh, you know you're competing with uh, social media and, and smartphones all the time and and the other part is um you i think the the ultimate learning is teaching right so mm -hmm. <laughs> if you need to teach something you need to know it at least to a good extent to a masterful extent is the is the best but to a good extent is at the, the right. minimum required um right. so you're having to do preparation to make sure that you are equipped to to be far enough ahead of the students maybe to uh absolutely. to be able to teach them while still having to carefully tailor the way that you're teaching and the content so that the students are most likely to be successful and absorb it. And one of the things I've always, I'm not a teacher, but I've always struck when I talk to teachers and I've spent a lot of time in classrooms now as part of my work, um, is that there's this challenge of if you have 25 students, you have five of them who yes. already mastered all of the work and are ready for the next thing. 
you have five who really are are starting to fall behind and then you have the 20 in the middle and or the the 15 in the middle and so how do you balance a lesson in a way where you don't abandon students who are haven't got it yet but you're also not frustrating the students who are ready to move on and that that's a balancing act that i uh i don't know how i would do that but it's it's such a an act of grace that i when i see teachers do it well you know i i i have a definition for that so my job is to get every single student to the maximum of their maximizing their own potential that's my job mm-hmm. you know my right. job is not delivering content that they can read and i get very upset when i have especially you know i teach in a design and art institution and i have still mm-hmm. sometimes students oh can you teach me photoshop and i'm like why you can go on youtube and learn better than me i can teach you the, right. the shortcuts i can teach you why you should do something in a certain way mm-hmm. not another but the technicalities the technology in a way is it's candy it's easy no coming up with and, an idea and it is will fun. also Right, and the tool that they'll be using in five years is different. Anyway. Absolutely, I say. So I, you have to teach them the level underneath the tools. Absolutely, because that will have durability. But you yeah. know, I think the key of maximizing each and every single student the maximum potential that they can give, and and I've been mm-hmm. um, teaching also um, students with uh, learning disabilities, mm-hmm. and and that taught me a lot. Because, of course, you know, the the goal is not to bring everybody to the finish line at the same level, but to equip every single student to be successful um, in their own way. You know, no, n- mm-hmm. not everyone is going to be a creative director and not everyone is going to be, um, you know, this amazing entrepreneur. Which is okay. It's fantastic because you mm-hmm. need also people that are uh, extremely skilled and, and laser focused on the minute details like typographers. Otherwise, we won't have all these beautiful fonts. And these are people totally. that, that thrive in doing this very detailed and very specific work. And um, I was teaching, and because you mentioned your daughter, I was teaching this student with... Um, uh autism and you know i got him to speak in front of five people for a minute about his own Mm. personal project and this was i teared up because after two years you know (laughs) and this is a student that had severe learning disabilities and and, you know for him to speak without interruption about his this project that he was doing also for people with disabilities for a minute. It was a pitch. It was a business pitch. Mm. And, you know, I, it was one of the greatest accomplishments more than having, you know, the very talented student winning an award because they were like, mm. of course you win an award. I expect that for you to win an award. Right. Uh, right. And, and that's, that's some part of our job that, um, goes, um, undetected i think you know sometimes as as educators absolutely i i think great teachers 
open doors that were previously closed. <laughs> I hope I do that. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, I wanted to discuss empathy with you uh, because in our conversation we talked a lot about it, and mm-hmm. but I wanted to talk about empathy in an unconventional way, mm-hmm. and and I tell you why because, um, especially now with all this design thinking movement and a lot of attention on, um, on on the positive message and how we should empathize to our customers or our target or our consumer i you know just if you make a small google search on empathy um you have thousands of results and unfortunately now my problem is that that this democratization of information at the end of the Mm -hmm. day and i see my students when we did the project and we talked about empathy how superficial this becomes oh i'm gonna make an interview what is march oh march is a 37 years old uh -hmm. irish uh he drives this car and 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 the funniest thing that happens especially in design school when i get especially the junior students to do customer journeys the customer Mm -hmm. journeys are perfect like and now he Great. opens up this thing and then he see this uh, yeah. advertising you know on the yeah. right side of his bill and i was like you are creating a customer journey that fits perfectly your solution and that's right. not how right. it works totally yeah yeah it's interesting i um i think a lot about empathy and what what behaviors tend to have the most powerful impact on on people's sort of design practice related to empathy. And, and there's the sort of most superficial level, which is, you know, uh, people create a persona, right? Which is kind of a, like a fictitious yeah. amalgam of the people that they're trying to serve. And it's, it's getting after the right thing, which is without any other information, the only person you can design for is yourself. And True. so fundamentally, one of the things that that empathy as part of the design process is trying to do is allow you to design for somebody else. Um, and, and by the way, from a business point of view, that's crucial because you have to make a product that other people Absolutely. will want to uh, consume or buy. Um, but I think that's the most superficial level of, of empathy and design. And there's some really, in my experience, powerful lessons to be learned that aren't just about knowing facts about, your user, your customer's life. It's about realizing that they care about certain things and they have certain problems and you could be a part of making their life better, but it's very unlikely that the thing that you're doing or working on is the center of their life. And that understanding of your role and position as a designer of a product or service in their life, I think is really important. So for example, let's say that you're designing I know a banking app mm-hmm. and you know, you could say, okay, I want it to be simple to use. I want it to be easy. Um, I uh, want people to be able to get the information they want, you know, as quickly as possible. That's fine. And that, and you don't need to go out and into the world and talk to people to, to know all of that. That's all pretty straightforward. But if you were to go out into the world, you might find a single mom who um, if you spend time with her and you talked with her and you, 
and you, you sort of gained her trust, you might learn that for her, um, as a single mom, her money is not just the money that she uses and is important practically, but it is the symbol of whether she's being successful as a mother. Sure. And, you know, cl- clothing her kids, feeding her kids, giving her kids the things that they want and will help them be successful in life is something that she measures. One of the ways she measures whether she's being a good mom or not is, is she managing her budget correctly and is she making enough money to be able to provide? And that level of understanding about the, like, what is that person feeling when they open your banking app? And what are they, why are they doing it? You might find that, you know, you, you, without that knowledge, you might've spent all of this time focused on how to make, you know, applying for a credit card in the, in the app as effective as possible with the highest conversion rate. But actually afterwards, you're like, the most important thing is that in five seconds, just after she's dropped off her kids or just before she's about to pick them up, she can open her phone and check her bank balance. She has five seconds. She's doing it for peace of mind and to make sure when her kid gets in the car and says, hey, mom, can we go for pizza? She needs to know whether that's going to be, well, let's go home and make a pizza or sure, let's go to the restaurant. And that way of thinking about the fact... Right. And, and, uh, and yeah, and, so, and, so these, these are the things to, the, to me when you start engaging with humans who you want to serve through the practice of design, these are the sorts of insights you have is that um, things that seem small or trivial to you maybe at the beginning turn out to be very important. And they're important not because they are practically challenging or complicated tasks, but because the emotional context is very high or very strong. So... I am. I was reading this article with, by Whitney Hest. Hess. Mm. Um, I will link uh, later in, in the transcript. So basically, a couple of things that she was discussing. It, it's not particularly deep article, but uh, it kind of struck a chord on a couple of points where um, they, she was talking about that empathy and uh, apathy basically they are within a spectrum and the other part was mm. accuracy and effort so uh, and 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 this is very interesting to me meaning that how accurate are your understanding of the feeling of this mom for example mm-hmm. probably your feelings march are higher than mine because i don't have kids so mm that feeling is a little bit more accurate because you can relate to that. But on the other side, there is the effort part that is very interesting. So how much time and effort and and, and investment have you spent to actually think about or envision or doing this thought experiment saying, what this story that you just told me is a scenario. Mm-hmm. No, then mm-hmm. you're saying, okay, then the kids comes in the car, mom, I want to go for, can we have pizza? And you instantly are going to react saying, okay, let's make pizza at home. We're going to wrestle. This is something that it took you years, probably or thinking, not years, but, but a significant amount of yeah. time to think about this issue or you train your mind to think in a certain way. I think, we designers are in a a little bit of a privileged situation because we mm-hmm. we do that that's that's what is required of us to do 
maybe not necessarily the CTO of, of the bank that was uh, producing the app or, or the sales mm-hmm. guy was like, I don't care, just, you know, actually we want the mom to go. Not all the bankers are evil. I don't want to send this message. There are bankers, sure. they're amazing. We did some, I also did some projects with banks that were uh, educating uh financial literacy sponsoring financial literacy so in this example you know the mean banker would say actually i want the mom to go to the restaurant because i can you know charge an extra interest in the credit card so actually i want this app to in a way conduct that uh that expenditure right Mm -hmm. and and i will talk about this engagement with actually let's talk about it now and and i think empathy is also very related to the context so within the context mm-hmm. of of an organization or a society because we can elevate this discussion now yeah uh, in a society where there is a lot of empathy meaning that a lot of people are caring for a lot of other people you know, if mm-hmm. um, the behavior becomes natural within that society, within that circle. So in in a way, what I'm trying to say is that if you are in, in, in a village or if you are in a tribe and everybody picks uh, two corns and put it in the pile, it is expected for you to go and pick up two corns and put it in the pile. If everybody right. cares for the elderly, it, it is expected for you to care about the elderly. Yeah. And so the yeah. environment changes as well. Now, it's, it's yeah, it, it reminds me of, you know, as a, as a designer, I've also been a, um, a design manager. And one of the jobs of a design manager is to design the environment in which designers can do their best work. Yep. And it was through that that I learned how much the culture of a design team or the culture of a company um, defines uh, and either lifts up or limits the the products and services that they make. Absolutely. And it is very much about that. It's like once if you join an organization that is led by empathy that that is driven by curiosity about their customers and and a willingness to hold the uncomfortable idea that maybe they don't know the answer in their minds then that will manifest themselves in the products that that team builds and and the newcomer will will uh, to what you said will start to match the cultural norms of that team uh similarly if somebody comes in and the design team uh, and design as as a tool is considered to be for extracting the most amount of money possible from the customers in the short term, then that will impact the the uh, the products, of course, as well as the person. Even if they themselves might be happier or more effective in a empathy driven customer first organization, will still follow the norms or they'll they'll leave. Um, and so, yeah, I think you're totally right about culture making products. Of course, and uh, and I I'm a strong believer that. You know, every business problem is a design problem because ultimately it's a human problem. This is how I finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wrote an essay, uh, an essay recently 
and and I was talking about business design and 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 I closed this essay in this way because it seems that and I'm I'm a very strong um how do you say evangelist about this idea of business and design mm-hmm. um for too many years designer have been clustered into oh you make the pretty things and that's okay and I'm the business guy so I need to sell the things and right. and we don't need to talk is not necessary um and and also I am a product of this and when I say I'm a product of this is I don't know if I told you the story when we met but you know uh, I was always very interested in design but I didn't get to study design because my father wouldn't let me the choices that he gave me at the time was you can be uh, a lawyer because we have lawyers in the family you mm-hmm. can be a doctor because your uncle is a doctor or you can do business because I run a business these were the three choices and mm. uh, <laughs> and it's funny but then you know engineering came along and and I'm I'm, I'm happy because it gave me also a perspective that is a little bit different from the one on the designer and yeah. um and i think i learned one thing that was very important one of my professor always told me there are only two kind of design design that works and design that doesn't work that's it mm-hmm. no? so in the middle there is nothing and um and this helped me develop also uh, this this i have a working theory right uh, about empathy um which is empathy i feel first of all what you said when you sorry i want to go back um what you said about design i tell my students 90% of the projects i worked in i didn't like personally mm. or better the aesthetic of the project that I've designed was not my own personal aesthetic. This mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it wasn't appropriate for the client or for the project, and it was right. maybe also an award-winning. But it is like, did you, do you actually like aesthetically the solution? Well, no, it's pink, right? You know, whatever right. it is, like, mm. yeah, or it's yeah. green. <laughs> I don't like green, so. I have a working theory about empathy because the problem is for me about empathy is that a lo- a, a, um, many people are talking about it, but very few people mm-hmm. understand it. And most importantly, what does it mean to be empathetic? So are you an empathetic right. person? I like to think I am, but am I truly? Am I really? And I associate this with, uh, with design. So in in mm. my book, I talk about how it's very difficult to define what good design is, right? Mm-hmm. So if I ask 10 different people, what is good design, you get 10 different answers. Right. And it's very hard to get a universal statement, at, at least it, right. according to my research. Because somebody likes more classic design, somebody likes more modern design, somebody likes minimalism, somebody likes uh, Memphis and color, etc. But right, right. on the flip side, everybody agrees 
on what's bad design. In mm. my opinion. Yeah. I mean, or, or not in my opinion. I did some research about it. So I, I interviewed hundreds of people, especially in the design field, colleagues, designers, successful designers. And when I said, what's good design, they come with this very philosophical statement. But when it comes down to bad mm. design, I, out of all these interviews, I distilled three main components. And I wanted to share with you as a designer. So mm. number one issue of bad design is lack of vision or lack of purpose. So when you don't know what you're doing and why you're doing it, the result is not going to be good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, right. Number two, lack of craftsmanship, which means whatever you're designing does not reflect a level of details and attention to details. Right, right. And number three is ignorance, meaning ignorance in the sense of lack of comprehensive knowledge mm -hmm. of the subject right. matter that you are designing for. So I distilled this up after so many uh, interviews and, and it's quite interesting because this kind of includes everything that is not good. So on right. the flip side, you can realize what is good? So, you know, you, if you turn all of these three things, 180, at least you know that you have something of value. No? So, so right. you have a specific vision. And that's, yeah. Uh, it, it reminds me, um, one, of the, one of the sort of parts of design practice is critique, right? Where you get yes. uh, feedback from, from your peers and your team. And um, you can have good critique and bad critique. And, and, Bad critique tends to be, I don't like it. And maybe, maybe there's some, there's some follow-up, you know, explanation of why, but it starts with this point of view of my subjective judgment means that I, I just, I don't like it. Um, and that's a really unhelpful form of critique and actually doesn't, I don't think pushes design for it at all. Instead being able to frame, I think this is successful about the design. And I think this is not yet successful about the design is one, it's just a better way to frame it because it's easier to absorb feedback because it feels like help in that way as opposed to judgment. Um, but it is also about, it frames a conversation that that aligns people and and to a shared view, which is like, in order to be able to say something is successful or not successful, you have to know what it's trying to accomplish. And so all of those conversations, conversations to start with, what is the purpose of this design? How does this particular solution meet the, that purpose? And do you understand enough about the problem that you're solving to even come up with a reasonable solution? Which is what you said, right? The purpose, the lack of craftsmanship mm -hmm. and, and ignorance. So yes. I, I, I totally agree with you. And I think, that, I think that you can reframe that conversation to not be about like or don't like, but instead to be about successful and not yet successful. Absolutely. Uh, in you know, I've been, I've been doing tons of critique in, because of my profession. And also mm -hmm. there is another factor that is you are a, as a designer, are you actually looking for critique? That's another yes. bigger problem. And this is empathy. Yeah. This is extremely yes. related to empathy. There are moments and I, you know, my wife is one of my, uh, fierce <laughs> critique that that I ask my wife um do you 
like, what do you think about this? But most importantly, I said, okay, what's wrong about this? If I mm-hmm. truly want critique, I give my critiquer permission to tell me what's wrong about this. So instead of mm-hmm. saying, what do you right. think about it? I asked, I asked in the beginning, what's wrong about this? Or what can be done differently? And if I want be any, that is my statement of, I want an actual critique. Otherwise I go there and I say, isn't this amazing? <laughs> so that's the problem, right? right. right? The prompt is uh, no, you have totally. to say yes. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I think then, and, and also you have to understand in that case, like the purpose of critique is to help the designer. Yes. And so both, both the person asking and the person receiving uh, hopefully are in the frame of like, oh, I need, I, I would love your help in improving this design. Um, and, and then the sort of the way that that, uh, feedback is, it is delivered and interpreted and acted upon is all in the frame of, uh, a friend of mine is helping me, uh, improve my, my work. It's really hard, you know, it is, is, it's really hard, especially in education when you, you're trying to instill this and, and younger students or more inexperienced students, they they actually see critique as a sign of failure, right? So mm-hmm. this takes, right. I, I will tell you, um, this takes at least um, six months to a year to get them from, I'm not used to critique, to get to the point that they, they are actually doing active and critiques. Do you think that's because they've just gone through an education system for where there was a right answer to every question and they were trying to get the right answer and get the high grade. And so their definition of success is uh, approval, not, and, and any feedback is related to like a lower grade. Do you think that's where it comes from? Um, partially, partially. Yes. I would say 50% or 40% is that. Um, mm-hmm. there is another, and, and this is understanding the mind of who you're talking to again. It's, it's mm-hmm. the other part is they don't know any better. So mm. now if I take your, you know, when did you start design school? Twenties, 18? Uh, I started when I was 18. Yeah. So I take 19 years old March and I show you the mm-hmm. best project that you have done at 19. To you and i say Whoa. you said that this was the most amazing thing you ever designed uh, that would be an uncomfortable experience <laughs> no but that's that's the point like you don't know better yeah. so you and yeah. I, I remember when i started you know you believe that whatever you have done that's to and it is true that's the maximum of your yeah. capability at the time Therefore, because you gave your heart and soul to it, and then somebody comes in and goes like, eh, your typography yeah. is off. It, yeah. It's hard. So It totally is. Um, um, there, there's a philosophy of teaching design that I've always resonated with, which is that nearly every aspect of design, and actually I think the aspect of, of almost any creative art, um, the training process is not focused or shouldn't be focused on skill acquisition. It should be focused on increasing your sensitivity. True. Because that is the challenge, especially, and with visual design, it's very obvious. With music, it's very obvious. When people are early in their education, 
uh, they they literally cannot perceive the difference between good and bad. They can't perceive, and and as you get more yeah. and more uh, experience and exposure, you get critique, you get to see other people's work, you reverse engineer their work, you you experiment, you explore, you do many 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 bad versions of whatever your your project is, and then reflect on it. Over time, you start to be able to perceive. Uh, the different gradients, the texture, the small, subtle details, and it's like uh, it's like um, your skin getting more and more sensitive, so that you can touch something and you can see it or hear it or whatever your whatever your field is, and that the you can teach people the theory of design and you can even teach them the technical mechanical skills of design, but their ability to do good design is fundamentally requires and is limited by their sensitivity to perceiving uh the the particular sort of manifestation of their project in this case and also you know, uh, the, design the, there is a huge difference in something that is you know art and uh science you know science can be mm-hmm. learned in a in a methodical programmatic way art mm-hmm. or design and needs to be um it it's learned by experience practice and discovery right yeah it, it's a different yeah. way of learning is a different yeah. way although of you, learning. you could you could i i actually think that science in the sense of experimentation for the purpose of discovery and design um have a lot in common true and that um that engineering often is the thing where it's like you have to do steps one, two, three, four, and five to get to the outcome. And that's, that's more about scaling and reliability, right? Like inventing the first car was an act of art combined yes. with science. Making the millionth car reliable and exactly the same as the 900,000 before it, that's engineering. That's the, like, keep it strict, do the same I would, thing every I time. would disagree. I will have... Professors yeah. that disagree with you because okay. engineers invent what was never been. That was a quote of a famous engineer. Mm, okay. So okay. it depends. Yeah, so I don't, I don't want to offend any of the engineers out there. <laughs> Your idea of engineers is different from the European idea of engineers. Mm. Don't right. forget that the, the most, for example, and this I, I always say um, in my history of graphic design, some of the greatest graphic designer of all times are mainly architects because you learn mm. first of all there was no graphic art at the time so right. if you wanted to study that architecture was was something very interesting but at the time it's it's very similar because it's it's mm-hmm. about you know putting things together and and merging them mm. um so much i would like to try an exercise with you Sure. So I will ask the audience to uh, take a moment, go on the website, dlc.live, and uh, download this worksheet, and let's see if we can do this exercise with March that we call um, the reverse empathy exercise. Mm. Sounds like fun. This interlude is sponsored by glc.live. Please visit glc.live. That's glc.live. 
or Golf Lima, Charlie Lima, India Victor Ika. Or good lies can live in valleys everywhere. Oh, and one more thing. Don't forget to download the worksheets for this episode. Bye. Okay, March, we are back. So this is kind of the practice of um, trying to understand empathy from a different perspective. This is the unconventional part. Uh, there okay. is a wonderful quote that inspired this exercise that was uh, from Leonardo da Vinci. and says, nature must be your guide. Nature begins with the cause and ends with an experience. So begin with the experience and investigate the cause. And I use this as my uh, driving principle in design. So whatever I do, how can I think about what is the overall experience that whoever interacts with our design have? And then... Mm -hmm. Or what, what is this experience, like you said before in your example, of the, uh, the mom that needs to look at the app in five seconds? Now, mm -hmm. subconsciously or consciously, you are designing that. That's the experience. And whatever goes into creating that experience is, uh, is the rest. Right. So I use this exercise because... Um, especially in, in, in my consulting practice, uh, both with students, but also executives. When I consult with executives, it's really hard to move them, you know, especially when they've mm -hmm. been producing the same product for many, many, many years. Right. Or, or, or for some reason, their product is extremely successful. Mm -hmm. I would say more business oriented because you are in, in tech. It, it's extremely hard to, to shift their mindset and to try to empathize right. with uh, a customer or a new client. And, and especially sometimes it's also very expensive, you know, like, oh, but we have been doing this 35 mm -hmm. years. How do you change that mindset? So I make this exercise because if I start with the classic empathy exercise, and I would like you to chime in and, and tell me if there is a, an interesting exercise that you like to do, mm -hmm. um, I find the classic empathy map. Now, oh, this is, once again, this is March, and what does he see? What does it hear? It's a little bit... Um, It takes a lot of, first of all, it takes a lot of effort to envision mm -hmm. something that is outside of your comfort, uh, or, or better, it takes a lot of effort in, in trying to visualize something that uh, it's far away from you, and on the other side, being objectively critical in what you have. Because right. if you design something right. in a certain way, you're like, I'm sure this works. You know, this, mm -hmm. you know, there are nine clicks because they have to be nine. It was like, right. can you do it in two? Right. It, this doesn't compute. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It's like, why? Right. It needs to be nine. Right. So this is yeah. fun. And, and so I use this reverse empathy. 
when I call it reverse empathy, because instead of focusing on something positive, I always focus on something negative. And uh, so let's find a small problem, something you like. Uh, I had a bad experience yesterday or two days ago with my printer. And so mm-hmm. I thought, oh, what if we do this exercise on a printer interface? But if you have another um, another idea, I would love to hear that. No, I think uh, I think printers are uh, are something that people experience and struggle with a lot. So it's probably a good one. So um, let me tell you this story a little bit first, which is this. Um, so basically, I was getting super angry that I was thinking of throwing the printer out of the window at one point because I mm. needed to print mm. something for some reason. Um, and I'm, I think I'm technology, technology savvy, you know, like mm-hmm. I know my ways around technology. Um, and suddenly it's been, it's been a little bit that the printer was kind of working on and off and it's a new printer. Right. That's also right. more frustrating. It's, it's new printer. So it's not familiar to you. It's, it's not super familiar. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then suddenly okay the computer didn't recognize and you know i was plugging in the usb and it was not working so i Mm. disinstalled Mm. everything and then i went online i couldn't find the drivers the drivers were not there and i spent a a little bit uh, i I don't remember yeah you know an hour or so and then suddenly i was like i was thinking what will my friend andrea do which is he's a he's an engineer in in electronics and i was like oh update the firmware so i updated Mm, the firmware of the of the printer and in one second everything worked Mm, okay (laughs) yeah So, so there was some sort of bug bug in the firmware that the company had fixed but it just hadn't updated on your particular printer. i don't know maybe it's my i updated mm-hmm. my operative system so it was not reading anymore so right. that i clicked update firmware on the comp on on the printer and i also went into um uh, everything worked perfectly now how much time would that save me if the printer at one point that has this capability because it's linked to the internet and says, hey, update your firmware. Right. <laughs> That's it. So I struggle an hour to find <laughs> drivers that were not necessary because once you update, it was like, oh, you don't need, and then it, it's it's very simple. This is a lack of empathy, I, I feel. Mm, right, right. So in a way, I when I do this exercise, uh, so let's say, that we are the printing company, no? mm-hmm. uh, new printer Inc. And we want to think what are the, because, you know, we know that we are making a printer needs to print, needs to print with color, needs to have, then if we want to compete with all this other printer, we need to be uh, creating a product that is interesting. So the basic functionality of you plug in, you click print, and it prints is not sufficient, right? Got it. So I start 
uh, and you are Mr. CEO of the Printing Inc. Right? <laughs> okay. So, how good is your printer, Marge? <laughs> uh, it's the best printer in the world. Absolutely. It's better than, it's cheaper, it's more reliable, it prints faster, uh, it can print documents, it can print photos, you can put a piece of wood in it, it'll engrave it, it's a magic printer. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, because this is the classic mindset, it's really mm -hmm. hard to identify now that you prized and you told me and you made a commitment to me mm -hmm. that this is the best printer in the world. For you to identify what are the pain points, it's really hard. Yeah. Because yeah. you committed to me. I asked you a very specific question and now I'm asking you, okay, but what sucks about your printer? It's really hard. So yeah. this empathy exercise um, starts with five simple questions. So I will ask you and say, okay, who would be the worst possible target for your printer? Mm. Now, do you want the answer of this fictitious CEO who would say there is no worst <laughs> possible target? Our, our product is for everyone in the world. Or do you want me to think about like, who today would have the hardest time using a printer yeah tell me who today would be the hardest time i think and i'm thinking about my own experience now with printers and printer interfaces um i think somebody with either a um uh a who's blind or low-sighted or mm -hmm. someone with like a uh, a fine motor control problem because every printer i've ever uh, scene has this tiny little screen with <laughs> tiny little text on it that you have to read and understand to know what to do. And it's covered in little buttons and I have to be able to put the ink in and slide the little plastic thing in to get the paper. Like it's very, uh, fiddly. And I, I, as someone who has full vision and doesn't have a, a um, a fine motor control challenge, I find it difficult to just operate the machine and understand what's going on. So I think for me, let's just pick one for simplicity's sake. I think a blind printer user okay. would, would have the most challenge with current printer design. Okay. Um, so the second question, so now you identify the worst possible uh, user. Mm -hmm. What needs will uh, absolutely disregard and don't address? Yeah, this is a fun exercise. So I think the first thing is we should never, ever communicate to them what state the printer is in. Okay, good. So if, if the printer is out of ink, they don't know. No. If the printer doesn't have paper, they don't know. If the no. printer is jammed, they don't know. If no. the printer needs new drivers, they don't know. No. So I think it should be a constant mystery <laughs> what the state of the uh, the printer is in. Perfect. Okay. And the next question. Okay. Now every question we can go a little bit deeper because we can say uh -huh. why not, why not, etc. Right. Yeah. So, but because yeah. of time, and I I want to respect your time. So mm -hmm. what would make now that you identify this? So it's a complete absolute mystery. But what would make the experience? of using this printer absolutely frustrating and consistently annoying because you know 
there is mm. a fine line like if you are watching a video i don't know if now people experience that we are old enough to have experienced the modem the, mm-hmm. there is a threshold of, of your patience where you give up and you yeah. say okay i'm not gonna watch yeah. this video ever but I, there is i think again for our yeah <laughs> i think for our blind user the only thing i could think of that would be worse than it just not working is that you think it's working but it's not and so i think that the the most frustrating and annoying would be you finally get it to print the document you hear the sounds it makes the little chime noise to let you know that it's succeeded and you pick up your document happy you put it in a little folder and you take it to wherever you're going maybe it's a form to be filled out maybe you're giving it to somebody but it's actually just a sheet of blank paper, paper. okay so and that's, also that's what you have not no no information and no um proof that's right yeah you you it, it is lying to you in an all <laughs> intents and purposes it's telling you that it succeeded when it failed okay so and the what are the features now that you know okay is telling mm-hmm. this information absolutely is lying to you but what are the features the key features that we will um that our target will uh, our con, uh, user will absolutely hate and get angry about yeah beside the well, one that we already beside the ones i think another one that could be really uh for this worst printer in the world this might be a, a really fun feature is it uses a kind of ink that dries slowly <laughs> so that our blind user who the who is you know has already previously printed documents thinking that the documents actually printed when it hasn't they're going to the only thing they could maybe do is touch the paper to see if they can feel the ink but anytime they do that they will smear, smear. The, the printing <laughs> that's very interesting <laughs> okay so, you you yeah. really thought about this <laughs> I, I didn't really i just apparently i had an undiscovered talent for uh designing like torturous products torturous fantastic so yeah. the last part and the last question is how badly will our target review our uh, printer on social media and how mm. would that review sound like feel like and taste like yeah well i think at this point it's it, we've gone beyond the product just being poorly designed and i think for a user like that it would feel like almost an attack on their identity right this is it's a product that is designed to um make them feel unsuccessful isolated and frustrated in the world so i can imagine that their review would actually feel very uh personal it's not a complaint that their product is not good it is an accusation against this company that they don't take the needs and feelings of people with disabilities into account and actively seek to uh to um harm them and that that would be fatal for a brand in the modern age <laughs> absolutely um yes you are a fantastic yeah. ceo <laughs> uh, it's great it's great it's uh 100 million in uh in in venture capital startup funding and away we go <laughs> yeah we'll build the worst printer in the world it is a, it's a fun exercise because one it like i like exercises like this for two reasons one is it really does highlight and reveal 
things that are actually important in a product like that, like the feedback to the user about the state of the printer, making sure that the feedback is available in multi different sensory inputs. Like those things are like, it, it highlights the importance of those things. The other thing it does is that it, it, uh, it frees you up to, uh, to get outside of your normal mindset, right? You get to use humor, you get to use subversive thinking, you get to use lateral thinking, all these tools that are really powerful, creative tools, but we don't normally let ourselves use them, right? We're always trying to um, uh, say the right thing and, uh, and you know, follow the design process, quote unquote, correctly. Yes. And I don't know, the word that came to my mind that I like most about that exercise is that it is subversive. It's about <laughs> subverting your normal assumptions and your desires about uh, the, the design process. Because again, so easy to fall into an egotistical state when you're designing things, right? To try to want to have the right answer, to try to impress people. And by trying to invent the worst thing in the world, <laughs> you free yourself from that. Absolutely. Um, and put yourself in a different headspace. I like that a lot. So this actually was, uh, is an exercise that, um, that has, um, I conceived out of frustration, meaning that mm. w working with a lot of uh, very good designers and also very good mm -hmm. students, I, I needed to find a way to, to break this uh, mindset. And, and mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I, I use this as empathy much more than the classic empathy map or, or other exercises mm -hmm. because it's important, it's really hard to get in touch with somebody's emotion always on on like you can try you can blindfold yourself mm -hmm. you can go and say i'm gonna spend you know a week with without eyesight and in deeply um immerse yourself in this but mm -hmm. the feeling of uh, you know, being blind, it's, it's something that it's really hard to mimic. Right. Yeah. Um, and in yeah. a way in trying well, to do that in, in uh, sorry, in, in, um, in, in a negative way, like trying to understand what this person would experience in a negative way, it puts you in contact with this person frustration, which is also an mm -hmm. emotion you yeah. know the positive emotion are also as good as the negative emotion when it comes to empathy because you can understand both and sometimes right. i feel that in design and in business as well understanding the negativity of your choices it's just as important as the positivity mm -hmm. of of your choices yeah absolutely sometimes your choices as well the relationship between the positive and the negative outcome are not um, symmetrical. So you could do something that if you do it right, has a very uh, small positive outcome. Yeah. But if you do it wrong, has a very large negative outcome. So you have to be quite thoughtful about that. One, one thing about that exercise, and particularly just because we happen to um, uh, identify a, a potential user with a disability, there's two things that I sort of really, um, I have learned, uh, over the last few years has been crucial. The first is designing for any group, but let's say a group with disabilities without including them in the design process is nearly always going to result in a, um, a less effective and less successful product. And that, that 
you know, an exercise like this for me would be really good for going, oh, okay, when I go and talk to people and invite them into the process who are blind or who, who are low-sighted, one of the questions I will ask them is, is the state of the printer really a, a problem? Because that, that came up in my imagination, but that's not my experience of the world. And so I was just guessing. So you can use these exercises as a way to give yourself some questions to go ask people whose experience of the world is, is the one that you're trying to address. So that would be, I always I think it's really important now to include people in any group of customers, and especially folks with disabilities, in the design process so they can lead you. The, um, and the second one is, is oftentimes, uh, I'm a big believer in inclusive design, which is a sort of a software version of universal design from architecture, mm -hmm. which is if you are able to be inspired by people who have a, a disability, you will often be able to create a product that's actually better for many other types of people. Absolutely, 100%. 100 percent yeah. i mean uh we were in seattle and uh and if you if you go and you see the the public library it's is a perfect example you know the accessibility mm -hmm. of the spiral and uh right and right. and and that's what make i mean it, it's a more is one of the best uh, libraries I've been walking through because I enjoy going through this pile and seeing, looking at the books and right, it's right. made this way for accessibility. So in this case yeah. was, was a perfect example. Yeah, that's a great example. I like that. <laughs> so March, thank you so much for, for your time. And, and if we had to, I would say, how do we, how do we, conclude our conversation if we can give you know three takeaways of of uh, our conversation on empathy yeah it, one of them for me is um something you said about you know is someone you know quote unquote good at empathy or not and i would have for a long time considered myself not very empathetic and not very good at empathy because there are people I know who they will meet somebody and they will immediately start to feel and understand what that person is feeling. They're very fast mm -hmm. at getting to that empathetic connection. And I'm, I'm not, I really have to work at it and I have to <laughs> spend time. I have to lean on my curiosity. I have to ask a lot of questions. I have to spend a lot of time with people before it starts to sink in. And for me, it usually comes intellectually before it comes emotionally. And I think for other people, it's the other way around. It will come sure. emotionally and then they'll build intellectual sort of understanding mm -hmm. around it. So if I was going to give one piece of advice to aspiring designers about empathy is um, there's no wrong way to get to that empathetic insight. And for some people, they're going to get there very quickly emotionally and then the, they'll have to put in effort to understand the framework around like, why does this person feel this way? And there'll be other people who gather a bunch of facts and then the facts at some point over time coalesce into an insight about, oh, I, I understand why this person's feeling this way. And that motivates me to want to create a solution that really helps them. Um, so one, I think that the, the time that you have to invest into empathy, it's important to know that it's not going to happen immediately. And if it doesn't happen immediately, that doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you need to be patient and put in a little bit more time and effort. Time and effort, which is time and effort. It's it's it's, it's the synthesis, and also 
we were saying as well the the accuracy no trying to mm-hmm. under right. because time and effort is also how asking yourself how accurate can you go in in understanding another person feeling right that's right that's yeah. right um yeah so that's one what, what about let me see you were you were looking for three um uh do you have other other thoughts about about sort of takeaways um I think one of the things that we discussed is is um uh, if I, I would say um is it a spectrum you know mm-hmm. so if you put it in perspective of not not this ultimate thing but on a spectrum of mm-hmm. you can be different levels of empathetic you know like in with right. with 10 you know plus 10 is is you actually are the person that is blind and and is experiencing the the printer all the mm-hmm. way to minus 10 and you're saying i actually enjoy seeing people struggle and and and, <laughs> and you are an evil <laughs> you know okay. or, or even yeah, just yeah, i don't even care i don't even care yeah. which is yeah, which yeah. is the same and that's um, probably way more common right there's yeah. very few you know the, true villains in the world but there's plenty of people who don't give a damn yeah but that that's the thing like i don't care i just or i'm not interested and i am not willing to do uh what you said before so empathy is a spectrum mm-hmm. i would say but that goes mm-hmm. you know on the left side um uh, is apathy and also on the right side is empathy and this is sorry i would spend one minute because a designer talking to other designers. this is very important that i try to teach to designers mm. they don't care about typography like the the general user doesn't need to know that you have been using a sun serif and the you know the kerning is right and the lighting is right mm-hmm. they will feel it they mm-hmm. will not understand it and a lot of designers out there get very frustrated because oh my client didn't understand how much you know i touch up all this logo typography and it doesn't matter they don't know they don't mm-hmm. need to know and thank god they don't know because then you still have a craft and keep your secrets of the craft and just ask how do you <laughs> feel about this oh this is much better right. than the other one because it feels more human and you just you know smooth the corners and that's okay because this is our craft and we don't have to you know wave the flags of oh you know i put a two radius corner on on this box and so the overall design feels more uh humanistic it was like that's your craft i mean i will enjoy this discussion if you're talking you know me and you we can spend hours talking about which typeface goes best with what and what is an interesting mm-hmm. pairing but this is because we have the same craft and and we enjoy that kind of conversation but the normal person right. would not do it so also this like empathy is in uh, on a spectrum and you mm-hmm. need to understand i think the idea of of empathy on a spectrum is interesting because you can then force yourself to you know take that dial and push it a little bit right or a little bit left mm-hmm. and, and i think that's revealing and say ah, how do i right. push it a notch no yeah. a little bit further a little bit further i think that's right yeah 
And then uh, I guess the third one for me, and and mostly I'm sort of this is a deep passion for mine is uh, of mine is when you're doing these empathy exercises or this as part of your practice, you should consider this to be a way, consider it a way to get closer to your users who you're trying to serve, not as a replacement for uh, their real life experience. Sure. You know what I mean? So, so include them in your process. And when they're the purpose of your empathy is when they're not in the room that you can still be their advocate that you could say, I think if, if my customer were in the room right now, this is what they would say. This is what they would ask for. This is what they would care about. So it's not a, it's not about, it's just making sure that it, you don't end up distancing yourself from your customer using any of these tools or practices. True, 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 true. So I, I, I love the, and, and maybe we need another episode for this, which is the concept of serving. It's essential. Mm. No, we are at yeah. service and, uh, and I think designers have that, you know, maybe artists have higher powers or maybe sometimes they just, you know, they, they I mean, they can push society as well. But I mm-hmm. think designer, a great trait of a designer is this, is being at service, you know, trying to understand that, that a great, a good designer is always at service of something greater. Yeah, I think I, yeah, I I think that's true, and I I think that um, I think that service is you're right. It is a very deep topic, and you could probably find <laughs> someone who's a, who's an expert in it and and have them on your show. Uh, but for me, it's been a very clarifying um, a sort of north star in my in my design practice, which is if I'm ever unsure of what I should be doing or what decision to make, I always ask the question of like, what would be the greatest service to my customer to my user, because it gets you out of if you ever, you know, most of us do design in teams in yeah. with groups of people and you can get into a world where you disagree with other designers who are in the same room as you. And you suddenly you get confused and think of that. That's the important conversation to have. True. That's the important debate to win is, you know, which you're wrong and I'm right. Right. It's like a very human thing to of do. Course. Um, and, and uh, the antidote to that is to remember that, both of you or anyone who's in the room are in service to this customer and this user. And it's not about you and it's not about your ego. It's about them and what they need and how you can help them. It's true. Absolutely. So March, thank you so much. And if we want to find Mm -hmm. you and your beautiful projects. Yeah. Um, So if you're interested in uh, my uh, autism communication app you can yep. it's named after my daughter you can go to getlyra.com that's g-e-t-l-y-r-a.com and learn all about that there and uh, if you're interested in my podcast about self-improvement we touch on design but it's not all about design uh, you can go to www.bettershow.io uh, and you can find me on all the social networks at march r so we're going to have uh, in the transcript and, and, and on the website and all the references and links. Um, Marge has been wonderful. I, I can't uh, thank you. This has been really fun, Jean-Luc. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, uh, it's really nice to chat with you and you clearly are so um, passionate and thoughtful about design. I'm just happy to know you're out there in the world. <laughs> thank you so much. So 
Um, I hope you have, you, you're going to tell me if you use my exercise in one of your brainstorming. I, I will be I will. happy I to will. see I will the, 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 yes. the actual results. <laughs> <laughs> so GLC Live is produced by Gary Moran. Special thanks to March Rogers. I'm Gianluca Cinque Palmi. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. For references and links, please visit glc.live. Bye.